Hey, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I'm your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and and Doom. Doom. So, Paula, have you ever heard somebody say that people get ideas from like horror movies or violent video games and that it gives people ideas that cause them to go on and try to replicate these horrible things? Yes, I have. Today I'm going to tell you the story of Cassie Jo Stoddart, and this case is also known as the Scream Murder. Cassie was a 16-year-old who was described as a responsible, straight-A student. By all accounts, she was just this really nice person. She had the reputation of being the kind of person who would be nice to everyone, really. She would be friends with everyone. You know how in high school, like, you have your actual friends, your close group, but then there's also those people who you know and you may occasionally talk to, And sometimes you may even hang out with them outside of school hours, but you wouldn't necessarily classify them as part of your close friends group. Yeah, totally. Okay. So most of the people outside of Cassie's direct friend circle would fall into this category. She was just known for being super nice and super friendly and just kind of nice to everybody. So on September 22nd, 2006, Cassie was house-sitting for her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras, and they owned a large split-level house located on Whispering Cliffs Drive, which was kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. Now, this property alone was on two acres, so there were neighbors, but they weren't very close. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Me too. It's <laughs> like my, <laughs> we've talked about it before. Like, give us some land, give us some chickens and goats, and we're happy. <laughs> exactly. So she wasn't completely out in the wilderness. There were neighbors, but it was pretty spread out. It was private. So Cassie's aunt and uncle had offered to pay Cassie to come watch their house and their two dogs and three cats while they went out of town for a few days. Now, Cassie was really excited to do this. She was trying to earn some money to buy her own car. And I can also imagine that she was also pretty excited to have, you know, maybe a little extra freedom, too. Oh, definitely. Like a little mini vacation. Exactly. I remember being that age and house-sitting. And it was just always fun to kind of be on my own for a couple days, do whatever I wanted. I could stay up all night. I could have my friends over. It was just fun to have that extra freedom. And Cassie, like I said, she was a good girl. She actually asked her aunt and uncle if it would be okay if she had her boyfriend Matt over to like watch movies and hang out for a bit. She got permission ahead of time to have him come visit. So it's a Friday night around 6 p.m. and Matt comes over. And he and Cassie are hanging out. And while he's over there, Matt invites his friend Tori Adamsick to come over and Tori brought a third guy named Brian Draper to the house as well. Now both of these boys, Tori and Brian, were 16 years old and all four of the kids went to school together at Poticello High School but Brian and Tori weren't super close to Cassie. They fell into that group where they knew each other but they weren't super close. More like acquaintances. Right. But Tori was friends with Matt. So Brian and Tori, they were not the good, sweet kids that Matt and Cassie were. These two boys were actually pretty troubled 
They were also pretty weird. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I was a weird kid. I'm still the weird kid. Same here. (laughs) (laughs) So why we get along. And that by itself, as we know, is fine. Brian and Tori were really into, like, films. And they even considered themselves to be film critics. With their favorite genre being horror films. And they especially loved the movie Scream. And hey, who doesn't? That is an awesome movie. Right. You like it? Yes, definitely. I'll never forget going to see that movie when it came out. It was like one of the first horror movies I ever saw because I was in ninth grade. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's the slasher film that makes fun of slasher films. And at the time, it was kind of a new idea. It was considered a little groundbreaking. As in the very first scene, one of Hollywood's biggest celebrities at the time was killed off. And just like in the movie Psycho, that was considered pretty mind-blowing to literally kill off your biggest star right away. Now it's been done a million times. Right. But this was like new and fresh. So it really is a pretty cool movie and I definitely suggest you go check it out if you haven't. Here is where Brian and Tori go off kilter. They took their love of this movie... And instead of appreciating its originality and the concept, they decided that they were going to use it as inspiration for them to commit real-life murders. And here's the thing about these two boys, and I'm going to call them boys throughout this story, because as we will learn, they like to talk a big game. They like to talk like they're grown men. They thought they were the two smartest people who ever walked the planet. In reality, they were just a couple of little boys who were really the ultimate followers. There was not a leadership bone in their bodies. These guys literally just tried copying something they saw in a movie and then talked like they were these powerful, creative minds. And it's just so ridiculous to me. So intent on making their own film of the real-life murders they were planning to commit, Brian and Tori created a death list that had the names of several of their friends and classmates on it. And they intended to murder these people on film. And one of the names on this list was Cassie Jo Stoddart. So while Matt, Tori, and Brian are all hanging out at this house with Cassie, Cassie gave them all a tour of the house, including the basement. Then all four of the teenagers watched Kill Bill Volume 2, which, side note, is another amazing film. So they're watching this movie in the living room. And after Tori and Brian had been hanging out for about two hours, but while Kill Bill was still playing, Brian and Tori told Matt and Cassie that they didn't feel like hanging out at the house anymore. Instead, they wanted to go to the local movie theater to watch a movie. So they said their goodbyes, and they left the Whispering Cliffs house. So after some time passes, Matt and Cassie are there in the living room, still watching Kill Bill Volume 2, when they start to hear weird creepy noises coming from the basement. At first, a person could probably just chalk this up to maybe pipes or the house settling. They are living on all this land. Yep. Maybe it's an animal, something coming from outside. Like, who knows? But things got even scarier when Matt noticed that one of the dogs kept staring down the basement stairs while barking and growling. Oh, I just got shivers. I I did too when I wrote this out. That's scary. Obviously, Matt and Cassie are both a little freaked out, right? Right. So while they're still trying to figure out what's going on, suddenly, all of the lights throughout the whole house go out. 
Now this is really feeling like they're living the middle of a horror movie. Poor Cassie, she's 16 years old. She's staying alone at this house in the middle of nowhere by herself. She's hearing weird noises coming from the basement. The lights are going out. I mean, I'd be terrified. Me too, at this age. (laughs) Me too, almost 40 years old. I'd be totally freaked out. Now, I did wonder what kind of dogs this family had because I remember when my husband used to work nights, I would be home alone with the kids, but we had this big, mean dog. And I totally felt safe because I knew if anyone came into my house, they were not going to get very far with Max around. So because they were out in a more rural area, I'm imagining like a big German shepherd or something that might make me feel much safer. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing too. Yeah, but I never did find out what kind of dogs. It was just something I wondered about. So after a little while, with the house in total darkness, the lights suddenly come back on. And at some point, Matt, who seems like a total sweetheart, he called his mom and he told her what was going on. And he asked if he could stay the night at the house with Cassie because Cassie was obviously unsettled. But Matt's mom said no. She didn't want him spending the night there. However, she would allow Cassie to come spend the night with them at their house. And then she said she would take Cassie back to the Whispering Cliffs house the next morning. And as a mother of a 17-year-old boy, I totally get this. If my kid called me, told me his girlfriend's home alone in the woods, weird noises are coming from the basement, lights are going on and off, the dogs are freaking out, I'm not going to let my son stay there. Right. But I really like the fact that she gave a reasonable alternative. Absolutely. Me too. Because I wouldn't want my son's girlfriend staying there alone either. Right. So looking back, I'm sure now that Matt and his mother probably both feel great relief that Matt didn't stay there. But they also probably feel pretty bad, maybe even some guilt, that they didn't insist Cassie come home with them. Because despite all of the weird stuff going on, Cassie decided that she had made a commitment to her aunt and uncle that she was going to watch their house and their animals, so she decided to stay. So at around 10.30 p.m., Matt's mother picked him up, and Cassie was left at the house alone. And it was around this time that Matt called Tori's cell phone to find out where he and Brian were, because apparently Matt was considering meeting up with them later. Matt would later say that Tori was almost impossible to hear on the phone as he was whispering. And so Matt assumed that Brian and Tori were still in the movie theater that they'd told him and Cassie they were going to go to earlier. But those boys were never at the movie theater. I had a feeling. Can you guess where they were? Inside the house still. They were in the basement of the Whispering Cliffs house. So, Cynthia, I know technically we're still in the middle of summer, But true Halloween fans know it's time to start thinking about our favorite time of year. That's right, you're reading my mind. It is never too early to plan your Halloween costume. And this year, I'm going to be using McCabe's costumes. They're the best. They're a family-owned company, which is amazing because I love to support other small businesses. Me too. And they have high-quality costumes that ship right to your door. You know what else is great about McCabe's costumes? Not only do they have an amazing costume selection, they also carry super fun leggings, which is perfect because a lot of us are still working from home and we just want to feel comfortable, right? That's right. I love wearing cute leggings around the house or in the recording studio because not only am I super comfy, but I also really look cute. 
and McCabe's carries leggings with all kinds of super fun prints. I especially like the Hocus Pocus print, which has these adorable vintage style witches and pumpkins and ghosts all over them. That print totally has this Dolls and Doom retro vibe that you and I love. Yes, and the best part is you can do all of your shopping online and have your costume or comfy festive clothing and accessories delivered right to your door. Girl, you gotta love that. After this last year, I want everything delivered right to my front door. I know, me too. And right now, McCabe's is running a special offer for Dolls and Doom listeners. Just use the code DOLLS10 for 10% off your purchase. McCabe's Costumes also offers free shipping on orders over $35. Polly, you know what I love most about McCabe's Costumes? They actually give back to the community. They donate costumes to kids in need who would otherwise not have access to one. And if you, our listener, would like to participate in this awesome cause, you can make a donation directly on the website. Just hit the donate button right on the homepage and you can donate $30, which McCabe's costumes will then match. They match every single donation received. So with your $30 donation, two kids who would not have access to a costume will get one. And this year McCabe's also supported autism causes and their local Shriners Club. I love this so much. Not only are you buying something amazing for yourself, but you are giving back. What other costume shop does that? Exactly. So shop for your costumes or festive wear at McCabe's Costumes and feel good about making the world a happier place at the same time. Go right now and get your Halloween costume, festival wear, or comfy leggings at McCabe'sCostumes.com. That's M-C-C-A-B-E-S Costumes.com. Before they had left a few hours earlier, Brian had gone downstairs and unlocked the basement door. Now they did leave the house for a bit of time, but they came back. And when they came back, they parked down the street so no one would see their car. And when they did sneak back into the house through the basement, they were wearing dark clothing, gloves, and white masks. They snuck into the basement through the door that they'd secretly unlocked, and they sat there and waited while Matt and Cassie were upstairs still watching TV. This wasn't exciting enough for them because they're jerks. So that's when they decided they wanted to scare the couple. And that's when they started making those weird noises that the couple upstairs and the dog heard coming from the basement. And when that wasn't enough to get Matt and Cassie to venture downstairs, Brian and Tori found the circuit breaker and they turned off all the power to the entire house. When even that wasn't enough to get Matt or Cassie to go downstairs into the basement, Brian and Tori gave up and they turned the lights back on. Now, while they were in the basement, Brian and Tori heard Matt leave the house, so they decided this would be a good time to turn the lights off again. And we're presuming that the boys were trying to get Cassie to come down into the basement to turn the lights back on, but again, she didn't do that. So after waiting for a while, Brian and Tori made their way upstairs into the main portion of the house. They were both armed with knives that were purchased at a local pawn shop. Now, since neither of these boys were 18 and therefore legally they were not allowed to buy knives or weapons, they enlisted the help of a friend of theirs, 18-year-old Joe Lucero, and he bought the knives from the pawn shop for them. And apparently 
Tori had a little bit of a knife collection. You know, that seems like the kind of thing a teenage boy might be into, you know? I don't think it, like, caused a bunch of red flags to go off for this friend of theirs to buy them some knives. Now, when they went upstairs, Brian was carrying a dagger-type knife, and Tori had a hunting-style knife. Once they got to the top of the stairway, Brian opened and then slammed a closet door, once again trying to scare Cassie, who by this time had fallen asleep on the sofa in the living room. Brian and Tori then attacked Cassie, stabbing her approximately 30 times, with 12 wounds being potentially fatal. Oh my god. It was brutal. Forensic pathologist Dr. Charles Garrison would testify that most of the fatal wounds stuck the right ventricle of Cassie's heart. After attacking her so violently, Brian and Tori left Cassie alone in the house to bleed out while they fled the scene. The next day, Saturday, Matt and Tori met up, and while they were hanging out, Matt kept trying to call Cassie. But of course, as we know, Cassie never answered. On Sunday evening, Frank and Allison came home, and unfortunately, it was their 13-year-old daughter who found Cassie dead on the living room floor. Oh my God, no. Can you imagine? The responding officers noted that Cassie's body was covered in blood and riddled with deep lacerations and stab wounds. The Bannock County Sheriff's Office put the family up in a hotel for two weeks while they processed the crime scene, and the authorities were so moved by the tragic events this family had to endure that the sheriff helped to cover the insurance deductible to start the cleanup process on the house after the crime. That is really nice. Really nice, but it also like speaks to how awful this must have affected everybody. Oh, definitely. The house had to have all new paint, new carpet, but despite the large living room being totally brand new, the family no longer goes in there. The room remains totally unused. Frank describes the room as having a feeling of emptiness, and he said the sense of sadness has impacted his entire family. His wife, Allison, fell into depression and she lost her job, and Frank had to get a second job to even be able to afford her medication. One of their daughters, who saw Cassie dead in the house, and I'm not sure if this is the 13-year-old who actually found her, or maybe it was another daughter, but one of them had a breakdown and attempted suicide. Oh my gosh, this poor family. It really affected them, as it would anyone. Yeah, definitely. The house has been put on the market every year since the murder, but as of 2014, the homeowners had never received any offers. Tori and Brian, thinking they were so brilliant, were zoomed in upon as suspects pretty quickly, seeing as though they were among the last people to see Cassie alive. And they were both arrested on September 27, 2006, and they were both charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Now, initially during the interrogation, Tori told the detectives that he and Brian had gotten to the house at around 8.30 p.m. because there was supposed to be a party at the house. But then after they got there, he said the party never happened. So Tori said that he and Brian left the house to go watch a movie, and then both boys would end up staying over at his house that night. Again, this shows you how smart these guys were not. Because when the investigators started asking him what movie he saw and what it was about, Tori suddenly couldn't remember anything about it. Now, eventually, authorities were able to get Tori and Brian to talk about what actually happened that night. 
but of course both of them blamed the other one because they're both obviously cowards who like to talk a big game but then once they were actually caught neither one of them could man up and admit what they'd actually done so brian would say that he was in the same room with tori when cassie was killed but he said that tori did all of the stabbing and then later he would admit to stabbing cassie himself but said he only did it because Tori forced him to. After further questioning, Brian took the investigators to a spot on Black Rock Canyon where he and Tori had disposed of two dagger-style knives with sheaths, a silver and black-handled knife with a smooth blade, a folding knife, a red and white mask, latex gloves, and a videotape. You remember I told you these two boys were wanting to make their own movie? Yes, are you telling me they recorded it? They did not record the murder, to my knowledge, but they recorded a lot of stuff before and after. And I mean a lot of stuff, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit of it. The night before the murder, Brian and Tori video recorded themselves saying, quote, There should be no law against killing people. I know it's wrong, but hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. End quote. Later in the same recording, you can hear one of them say, quote, We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddart. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I mean, like, holy sh, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. End quote. Holy crap. So, Paula, they were laughing the whole time through this video. They're laughing like it's nothing. Like, they may as well be talking about a video game. That is so demented. I know. And they're talking about murdering someone that they call their friend. Right. So, on the night of the murder, after they left the house the first time, but before they snuck back in the basement, they make another video. And this time, they say, quote, We know there's lots of doors. There's lots of places to hide. I unlocked the back door, so it's all unlocked. Now we just gotta wait, end quote. Then later that night, immediately after they have killed Cassie, they record themselves again. And Brian says, quote, I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not an effing joke. Tori then says, I'm shaking, while Brian goes on to say, I stabbed her in the throat. I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I just killed Cassie. Oh, oh, F word. That felt like it wasn't even real. I mean, it went by so fast. Then Tori says, shut the F up. We gotta get our act straight, end quote. Brian was later heard on tape saying they will make history by becoming notorious serial killers. They ramble on and on about how the FBI can't catch them. They're so notorious. They're so bad. They can't be outsmarted. On and on and on. I have three boys. My heart goes out to teenage boys. It's a hard time. Right. I don't have much sympathy for these kids. To my knowledge, they didn't come from families of abuse. They didn't come from a lot of trauma. And even if they did, that wouldn't excuse any of this. Right. But I at least have some sympathy for those kids. I could go on and on reading the transcripts of these videos that they made. But, like, some of the things that they said, just to, like, show you their mindset. 
you know, they're talking about, oh, killing somebody. And one of them goes, yeah, it's natural selection. There's nothing natural about <laughs> killing someone else. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, these kids are just trying to sound what they think is cool. And they're trying so hard. And they're failing. At one point they say, so, hey, all you FBI agents, you just weren't quick enough. As if. They're so clever they got away. Right. And they're going to, like, go on and on and on to, like, kill while the FBI is going to be like, oh, man, these two just keep getting away from us, which obviously didn't happen. Before they attempted to kill, before they did kill Cassie, they had another girl who we only know as Jane Doe 1 that they had planned to kill. And they actually went to her house. And before they did, they made a video saying, we're going to go to, you know, this girl's house. And if she's home alone, splat, she's dead. (sighs) Thankfully for her, she was not home alone. She had family members home. They make videos going on and on talking about all these different serial killers, Ted Bundy and like all these serial killers. But you can tell. They're glorifying them. They're glorifying them, but they also don't know about them they'll be like yeah we're gonna be like ted bundy no we're gonna be like ed kemper we're gonna be like they're like throwing out these names trying to be like so cool they don't even know what they're talking about they don't know who these guys are (laughs) they don't know what murders they committed and then they're saying they're going to be bigger than them they literally call them amateurs at one point in their video address hey all you future serial killers who are watching this like here learn from us like they're doing a how-to video or something it's embarrassing how ridiculous they were yeah you know what i mean arrogant just terrible so i mean we could go on and on and on just reading the different things they said in these videos that just gives you a taste of their kind of attitude they just think they are the coolest things there ever were So during their trials, the prosecution revealed that Brian had said he was inspired by the shooters who committed the Columbine High School Massacre, in addition to the Scream horror movie franchise. On April 17th, 2007, Brian was found guilty. Tori's trial started on May 31st, 2007, and he was convicted on June 8th, eight days later. Nice. On August 21st, 2007, based on being convicted of first-degree murder, Both boys received a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility for parole and 30 years to life for being convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Brian and Tori are both serving their time at Idaho State Correctional Institution. Their attorneys filed separate appeals at the state Supreme Court in September 2010 for Tori and April 2011 for Brian. Brian was seeking to have his conviction vacated or to be given a limited life sentence that would allow for his release on parole if granted after 30 years. Their sentences, thankfully, have been upheld after the appeals were denied by the Idaho Supreme Court. In 2010, the Stoddart family filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District. They claimed that the school was negligent and should have known that Brian and Tori were dangerous and posed a threat to others. Both the civil court and the state Supreme Court dismissed the case, saying the actions of the killers were not foreseeable. And the basis for this lawsuit is like allegedly the boys would be saying and doing questionable things during school. They would sit in the middle of class and talk about how they were going to murder somebody and things that really were alarming. They were saying, but anytime they'd be questioned about it, they would be like, oh, no, we're just talking about the horror movie we're making. So they were openly talking about, you know, when we kill XYZ, whoever, then we're we're just talking about the movie we're making. So there's like this question 
Should people have been more aware? I can see how Cassie's family would be like, hey, these were huge red flags that you guys just ignored. I can also see how you can't really, you know, if it really was just, hey, we're just making a movie. I mean, I made horror movies when I was that age, you know. And how do you prove what the teenagers saying is correct or malicious, you know, future planning? Right. I can see it from both sides. So, yeah, that's the case of Cassie Jo Stoddard. That's not just sad, but it's also terrifying. I don't know what to think of these boys because, I mean, they're obviously pure evil. Is it just that easy to manipulate them that you just, like, they see this movie that's cool? Because it is. It's a cool movie. And that's enough to be like, hey, I want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, is it really that easy? Right. Like, I watch, you know, Wonder Woman. I'm not, like, jumping off buildings thinking I can land safely on two legs. I realize at 16, like, your frontal lobe hasn't fully formed, and but still, I cannot imagine how terrifying this must have been for Cassie. Definitely. To be, I mean, as a, again, almost 40-year-old woman, the idea of somebody coming to, into my house wearing masks and butchering me is terrifying. Oh, absolutely. I think if I was in her shoes, even at this age, I'd be like, yes, I'll come with you and spend the night at your house. I think I would have too. I don't know that I would have been brave enough to stay there with all that going on. No. And definitely at 16, I would not have. No. But that just kind of goes to show she was like really responsible. Yes. She was taking her job seriously. Right. She wasn't, she said she was going to do this. She made a commitment and she did it, unfortunately. I mentioned that her boyfriend and her boyfriend's mom probably felt terrible. It wasn't their fault. They offered her to come stay. She chose not to. But, you know, you would, knowing that she got murdered that night, you would feel incredible guilt maybe I should have tried harder maybe I should have done this maybe I should have who knows what but can you imagine how her aunt and uncle must have felt too yeah if we hadn't gone away if we hadn't asked her to stay here so what do you think Paula do you think movies video games and violent television do you think it grows future psychopaths I think it depends on the individual if you're going to do something like that, I think there's something already internal inside you to then go through with it. Sure, I can watch a movie and be inspired by it, whatever the story, but if it's something about murder, hurting other people, I'm going to be like, wow, that was a great movie, but I would never do that. So I think it's got to be something internally inside of you already. I agree. I don't think it creates them. I think if you already have those crazy thoughts in your brain, then it can feed it. But if you have those crazy thoughts in your brain, anything could feed it. I remember sitting around with a group of friends and we were like, okay, who would you be in the in the horror film? Would you be like the first girl that gets killed? Would you be the one who's like, oh, I heard a noise. Let me go check it out. Would you be the survivor, the, you know, the star who makes it to the end? Are you the killer? Have you ever played that game? I haven't, but it sounds like fun. Okay, so who would you be? Okay, well, 16-year-old me, I think I would be the chicken that gets killed in the first 30 minutes. I wouldn't be the one like... I think I'll go investigate that noise. I wouldn't be that girl. I would be the next one to get killed, the one who's cowering in the corner and (laughs) jumps in the window and slashes my throat. I'd be that girl at that age. This age, I believe I would be the fighter. I would do whatever I can to save me and my friends. Okay. Who knows if I survive or not, but But you're going to try. Absolutely. (laughs) How about you? Okay, so I had this conversation with a group of friends not long ago, and I was like, I'm the girl that makes it to the end. I'm the star of the movie. And every single one of them, except for one, was like, oh, no, you're not. You are the first girl to die. (laughs) So I was like, no way, no way I die. But then I had a friend, and I was like, oh, my gosh, you said it. He was like, you're neither 
you are the Mrs. Lovett. You are the one who makes friends with the serial killer and you become his sidekick. And I was like, that's so true. Like, not in real life, y'all. It's a game. But in the movie, I would totally be the serial killer sidekick. Because I look like the cheerleader. It looks for deceiving people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you have anything for us for the time to kill segment? I do. I love TV and I've been watching some really great shows. My first recommendation is Fear Street. Mm. It's a three-part series on Netflix based on the book series by R.L. Stein. And I don't know about you, but I've never read the books. So the movies were a brand new story to me. The first installment takes place in 1994. The story follows a group of teens in Shadyside who are fighting evil that has plagued their town for centuries. The story is really interesting and the soundtrack is great. It felt familiar like the stories were being told in a new way. And the next installment takes place in 1978. And I have to say that I love going back in time and seeing the whole story of what happened originally to this town. Normally when you get a flashback in a story, it's like 30 seconds or less. But because this is a three-part series, you get to see a whole movie's worth. I also love the different time periods with the theming music. And the final installment goes all the way back to 1666. Wow. Yeah. It was so good. And again, with the music that fit each time period and an ending that literally had me on the edge of my seat, and I'm not exaggerating. It's just really well done. And the characters are really likable. These young actors are so talented. The redhead was the only one that I recognized because she was in Stranger Things, but the others I'd never seen before, but I hope I see them again because they were really talented. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. I'll definitely check it out. The other show I want to talk about is Dr. Death. Have you watched it? I haven't, but I have been thinking I got to I gotta watch it. Oh, it is so good. Well, first of all, it's based on a podcast. Right. By the same name. So Dr. Death. And it's more of a drama thriller. Like Fear Street, I saw the trailer and it immediately shot to the top of my must-see list. And this too has an amazing cast. Alec Baldwin, Kelsey Grammer. Christian Slater, and Joshua Jackson. And if you're unfamiliar with Josh, he played Charlie in a little movie trilogy called Mighty Ducks, (laughs) and he was on Dawson's Creek and Fringe. Most recently, he played Reese Witherspoon's husband in Little Fires Everywhere, which is also a great show. So good. Anyway, he was always one of my favorites, and maybe that's why it was so spine-chilling to see him play this evil doctor who mangled and even killed some of his patients. This show, which you can find on Peacock, was so good and so disturbing. Okay, so maybe it's because the surgeries that he was performing was in their back, and I have the same back issues that might require surgery. Even the sounds of the surgery, I had to look away from the scenes because I still felt every noise. Yeah, is Uh, it gory? Does it show it? It's a little bloody. But it's surgical gore. Right. It's, okay. You're not getting someone's head chopped off, but it's like watching ER. There's some surgery scenes. Okay. There's another one called Home Before Dark. I believe that's on Apple. Season two okay. just came out. So if you haven't checked that out, she's like an eight-year-old, and she's more of a Nancy Drew. Okay. She writes for this little newspaper, and they moved from New York to this small town, and she's still doing it. So, of course, adults aren't going to really take her serious. But she's always right. She's like Nancy Drew figuring out the clues. Really good. Really cute kids. And then there's one more show on Hulu. The title is Only Murders in the Building. 
It stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Have you heard of this one? No, but Steve oh. Martin, Martin Short, you are speaking my language, girl. Thank you. I have loved them ever since I was a little kid because my parents used to watch, you know, their their movies, and I yeah. grew up. I mean, I've listened to their audiobooks. Yeah. I just love them both. Anytime I hear a podcast and they're being interviewed, I'm like glued. So anyway, you have to check out the trailer, but the synopsis is there are three strangers who share the passion of true crime and suddenly find themselves wrapped up in a real-life murder mystery in an Upper West Side apartment building. They race to use their knowledge to figure out the clues as the killer might be living among them. Oh, my. And unfortunately, that doesn't come out until August 31st, but I always love having something good to look forward to. I am going to watch that on August 31st. I'm going to binge it. Is it a movie or a It's a series. Series. Yes. Steve Martin. He's old enough to be my grandfather, and I think he is so sexy. I adore him. Did I ever tell you my friend Steve Martin's story? I don't think so. Okay. So my friend is a fellow singer, and she used to be the headliner at this lounge. I want to say it was in New York City. She would sing, and then dancers would come out, and then this would happen, and then... Cool. Like a little variety show. Yeah, like a little variety show. One night, they went to her last minute and said, you're going to have to take five minutes and tell some jokes and fill this time slot because something's going on in the back. We just need you to kill time before we can get these dancers out here. Okay. The song she had sung before, she was literally wearing nothing but a pair of underwear, some fishnets, and like a leather jacket. It was some sexy thing. And this night in particular was like this big opening night and one of her friends, one of the dancers, brought her new boyfriend to the show Her boyfriend was the very famous comedian, Steve Martin. Oh, my God. So, on top of already just being nervous that she's having to sing and perform in front of Steve Martin, and this was, like, back in the 80s when he was huge, now she's got to stand there in her underwear, literally in her underwear, (laughs) and just make stuff up. In oh front of Steve Martin. No pressure. Not to mention her dad and mom are there. Oh. So she's like, of all days, I'm having to like stand here in my underwear and tell jokes with Steve Martin in the audience. And I have no preparation. So she finishes her song and now she's got to kill time. And she starts telling jokes and they bombed. Every single joke just bombed. Oh. Like no laughs. It was bad. Backstage after the show, sure enough, her friend introduces her to Steve Martin. And Steve, she said, was so sweet and so gracious. He said, can I give you just a little bit of advice? And she's like, sure. (laughs) And he was like, first of all, you are an amazing singer. But when it came time for you to tell the jokes, it was obvious that you were really uncomfortable. Everyone in the audience felt how uncomfortable you were. He said, next time, what I want you to do is I want you to be honest. I want you to be like, so guess what, y'all? Five minutes ago, my director told me I had to kill time. I had to stand here in my underwear with my dad in the front row and tell jokes with Steve Martin watching me. How awful is it to be me right now? And he said, and everybody would have fallen in love with you. Everybody would have laughed. He was like, so from now on, I want you to just always tell the truth because your audience always knows. He was so sweet to her and it was so, and it was like million dollar advice. And he only gave her that advice because of course he knew, he knows what it's like to be on stage and bomb. He's bombed a thousand times, I'm sure, you know. I just always thought, wow, that's great advice. And 
how lucky she was to meet him. But I just thought, oh, that shows you the kind of guy he is. That yes. He was like, you know what? Let me help you. Here's what you do next time. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a cute story. That is a cute story. I love yeah. it. And I love hearing that someone that I love and admire is really that nice of a guy. Oh, yeah. He didn't have to say anything. So, right. He didn't. He wanted to help her out. So, yeah, pretty cool. That is cool. Hey, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. You noticed, I'm sure, that last week we didn't release new content. And that is because my family lost our family pet. We actually let her go yesterday. So it's been a hard week and a half or so we've been dealing with that. Our little pug, Clarice, named after Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. We let her go yesterday. She lived with us for eight years. We believe she was about 17. She was a rescue. So we thank you for your kind thoughts and your patience with us as we took a week off to deal with that as a family. It's it's never easy to say goodbye to a cherished pet. They are part of the family. It was rough, as you also know, Yes, unfortunately I do. You lost your little guy, Jack, not long ago. Many of our listeners probably know what that feels like, and it just sucks. Yeah. So we hope to bring you a new episode every Friday. If you'll like us on social media, find us, follow us. If you want to leave us a review, especially if you can leave us a comment, we love reading your comments. We love your case suggestions. Some of you have sent in case suggestions. We are working on them. And we just appreciate you so much, listeners. Yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Absolutely. All right, we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.